Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN merch button click on that it'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that hey on the swag that i'm using it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear sports history network and my favorite podcaster the sports history network store shop there today blog talk radio Tonight, we'll go back in time to seasons past, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score that would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football History of on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network. We're live from the all-news Southport, North Carolina home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. And I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America that focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American foul game since its inception in 1861. We cover 150-plus years of football history and memorabilia. You can find us on the web app. GridironGreatsMagazine.com. It's at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host. He's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorable historian specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larger. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe Squires, Joe. Welcome to the show this evening. Captain, how are you, sir? So good to be back talking uh, talking hobby with you. We're back and uh, we're we're in a in a quasi new location in Southport. We're in the condo waiting for the new compound to be finished down here. And hopefully we'll be in the new house the middle of November, end of November, and uh, I'll be set up again. Uh, at full strength, to say the least. Very different, 
very different way of looking at down here. I'm very, very, very happy being down Brenda and I. Uh, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I've never been called sir as many times as I have in my life since I've been here. It's amazing. Truly amazing. But let's get in. It's been a few months since we've talked. Let's get yeah. right into the topic of the evening before a special guest comes on, and that will be the National Sports Collectors Convention and a few things that you've picked up <laughs> the past few months. I can't wait to hear this, and I and I do uh, I do send my apologies out for not being able to attend the national this year. There's way too much going on, and uh, I will be back next year. Ironically, it's up out of I guess Atlantic City, which would have been a uh, four-hour drive for me from Wallingford, but obviously it's going to be a little longer trek this coming year. So, Jim, I'm handing off to you, and let's let's go uh, me in, go me in. Well, Captain, very sorely missed, uh, obviously. Uh, you know, just what a great event. I I only went into the National the actual, and walked the grounds of the National one day, and that was Friday. Uh, I mean, maybe that surprises you, but it's uh, I, I, I really go down there just to hang out with, you know, hobby friends and, uh, and, and people, and that's what I love. I went down with my son, uh, Xander. You know, he's 12 years old. It's his second national. Went to the Cleveland one three years ago. Uh, even even he knows the guys. We went to the uh, the VFC pizza dinner on Thursday night, or as he called it, the Leatherheads. Uh, all the group of the Leatherheads. <laughs> we, uh, you know, Jeff Payne put together a really nice pizza dinner. Probably 25 people there. We ripped a little bit of wax. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Mike Blaisdell challenged him to eat the gum from the wax, and Xander did. It was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, wow, wow! Just a, a really good leatherhead pizza, and I, I think Jeff uh, Jeff FaceTimed you from that. Uh, weather was pretty bad where you were, so it was it was kind of choppy. But I remember him, you know, passing the yep. phone around, FaceTiming the captain. You had to. There, there is no leatherhead yep. gathering without you. So I, I thought that was very classy of him. I, I was very. I was. I was very honored for Jeff calling me there, and I and I did call from one of the last phone conversations I had from my old man cave back in Wallingford was the national dinner, so it was pretty cool, yeah. pretty cool. So what? So what? How was it? I mean, I heard I heard so many stories of pent up demand, things were flying out of there. Fill me in, fill me in. Oh, it, yeah, I mean. It's it's kind of interesting. It's just it it was one of the most uh, uh, attended nationals. You know, I, I think I, I forget they, the NSCC threw out a stat, it was, but it was like one of the second most attended national, the most attended right, one right. in like thirty years. Uh, and uh, and it was crowded. It was shoulder to shoulder. It was. I mean, it it was. Well, it was it was crowded. And so by the time I made it there, you know, Friday at, you know, 9.30 in the morning, 10 a.m. or whenever it opened, uh, I mean, it was already packed. Uh, I had, you know, I had to hang out at Josh Adams Sports Cards, your usual stomping grounds for a little while. Um, yep. You know, hung out at Al Christopoli's booth. He had a nice table set up there, too. Uh, you know, love of the game. And, uh, yep. Yep. but I, 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 I 
I'm not a big fan of crowds. I don't like, you know, bumping and touching, especially in time of COVID. So it's, uh, it's I mean, I walked the halls. I, I bought stuff. I bought some uh, unopened wax from BBCE, um, bought an unopened wax pack from, uh, you know, from uh, another dealer. But, you know, good stuff was scarfed up. I, I bumped into, you know, a uh, you know, former guest of the show, Scott Alpa, who now works for PSA. You know, and he said stuff was just flying off the shelves. It was, um, yep. it was also yep. interesting. PSA stopped taking submissions Friday morning. Uh, so yep. they were there, but they weren't grading. SGC was there, but they weren't grading. Uh, they basically, they had a, you know, they had a double booth, but they were like, no, we're not, we're not here to grade. We won't even take submissions. We just wanted to say thank you to everybody. So, I mean, it was a very odd setup, but, um, you know, yeah, I got a chance to just well, talk to everybody and walk, you know, walk the floor. But this is the first national. I haven't bought that much stuff. I get back to that PSA. Uh, you're not taking submissions. I had a couple of people ask me about that because they were surprised. And I said, I yeah. twofold. Number one, number one, if if you're going to gain credit, if you're going to continue to be credible in the market, this is my honest opinion. You're not going to offer turnaround time like you you know, uh, of uh, one hour to get a card graded type of thing, especially Absolutely. when you just waited a year to get a card graded that you mailed in or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So I think, I think they made a very wise move in saying, we'll set up, we'll support the national, we'll support the hobby, we'll, we'll say thanks to our customers, but sorry, we're not going to accept anything. I think that was probably the best move they possibly could have made uh, compared to, you know, trying to take it. And you, you and I both know, we, we, remember seeing the lines there, which were ridiculous over the years, of people trying to drop stuff off and then the next day. You know what I mean? So I think it was a yeah. And number two, I think I think they just wanted to to real you know to take in the first national in two years to you know to, to view what was really going on one way or the other. That's my my opinion yeah. on what happened. You know, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. But uh, apparently, they got flooded with so much. With so many submissions, they stopped taking submissions, except for the, you know, like thousand dollar level, or I forget what a six hundred dollar level where it was, you know, uh, yeah. turned around yeah. national. I, I brought uh, probably about a dozen, probably, probably about eighteen cards to get graded. And I was prepared to pay hundred dollars a card, but uh, yeah. they, they weren't t- taking submissions. So I did. I didn't submit a single thing. Uh, brought yeah. a couple yeah. wax boxes to get looked at and. Um, yeah, I didn't submit a single thing. It was just, it was weird. You, you know, you nailed it on the head. There's that I save uh, for a national to get submitted so that I can submit it. And then, you know, two days later, pick it up. Um, and right. it right. was for not. It was, it was very interesting. Yeah. 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 I hear you. Um, that was fun. Right. Friday night, we, Friday night, we had another dinner group of guys, uh, you know, it was it was it was awesome. It was tiring. Uh, you know, Saturday, you know, Xander and I went to Chicago and and uh, hung out, had dinner down there, and we we took a you know a Chicago River you know boat ride up and down the river, which was awesome. Right, right, you know, right. Uh, but just a, just a you know, it's exactly what we go to the national for. You know, is to uh, you know to to meet meet our friends and hang out. I mean, how many nationals have you been to where you got Kind of change to your, you know, change to your table, where you don't really have the chance to walk the floor. 
Right. And I and you know I I I rarely walk the floor at a national. I mean I I I try to you know check it out early in the morning before we set up. And uh, honestly, the last national I could say I really walked around was was Baltimore probably in 2010. That was probably the yeah. last national I really got a good shot at walking around. And you know it's a, it's a tough show because again, depending on where you're coming in from, you're shipping stuff there, you're carrying stuff on the plane, yada yada yada. So you don't get a good good uh, feel of everything that's going on there one way or the other. But uh, I I just could tell. This was the national of all nationals uh, to have missed. I haven't missed one in many, many years. And uh, too bad I, I couldn't, I couldn't make it. But I know it was, it was uh, an incredible national. And the few dealers that I know who I talked to afterwards said that was probably their best, best show in years. And that was good. It was good for the hobby. And uh, again, the way I look at it. The National is a place to go where you want to find that one card that you've been looking for for the past three years that you can't find anywhere. You know what I mean? I mean yep. You're looking for a football that you've never worked type of thing. And you can say all you want yep. about eBay and online and so on and so forth. When you buy something in person, there's nothing better than that. To actually see it, visual, you know, see, see it Take it out to, to feel it, to smell it. Uh, yep. Yep. Exactly right. You know, it's, 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 it's our hobby. I, I was hanging out at Josh Adams' booth, and I was definitely thinking about, that. like, you know, his first national I've been to where you weren't there, you know. Uh, you know, the one in Cleveland three years ago, you were sharing a booth with, yep. uh, you, you know, with BST guys. Um, yep. And then uh, yep. before that, Josh Adams, it's just, it's just, it's weird not seeing you there. And then I started wondering, it's like, how, you know, how many, how often does Bob get to walk around the national floor, you know, and leave his booth? It was it just, it got me wondering. Yeah. Yep. It's very, it's very minimal, very minimal. I've, I, I rarely have been able to, in all the years that I've gone to the national and set up, I've, I've never walked the complete uh, area. And even when I attended as a, as a, uh, just as a collector, I never got to walk the whole the whole area because I was only there for a day or two, and I was out type of thing. So I'll be back. I'm, I'm getting the itch to do a show again and see a show. I'm very close to Chantilly here. I'm about six hours out, so I'm going to be looking into setting up there in the future and uh, nice. and getting back at, getting back into the swing of things. So it was very nice. Quickly. Quickly pass through your hands. What's going on? My uncut sheet collection is growing. Uh, my my love of uncut sheets is growing as more and more, you know, uh, you know, you hear about more and more nefarious things happening in the hobby. You know, yep. autographs, you, every, everything you can think of, you know, can be tainted. An uncut sheet can't be doctored. Uh, and I'm just digging it. I bought a, a 19... Uh, 63 tops uncut sheet 1969 excuse me wow 1969 top uncut okay. sheet that is yep. stunning the colors on it are beautiful they alternate yep. rows where one's upside down so the colors mesh and it's just the colors on it is are beautiful i got it about uh a week ago unrolled it i'm going to frame it and hang it in my office with the other dozen or so uncut sheets that i have going on uh it is it's it is so colorful bob 
I mean, it, it's just, it's a rainbow of colors. It's beautiful. And uh, love it. And then I uh, picked up in the, uh, I think, the Heritage Auction, a 1975 Tops, all four sheets. It was the entire set on four uncut sheets. Uh, I'm pretty happy wow. to take that down. It's pretty cool because I didn't have wow. any 1975s. So pretty stoked. Picked mm-hmm. up a couple more 1961 Fleer sheets. The, the most common uncut sheet uh, you find in the hobby, uh, other than when you start getting into the 80s, is uh, 1961 Fleer for some reason. Uh, you know, second series, you know, AFL. AFL. So uh, I probably own 20 of those sheets. And I, I, I don't know why. Every time oh, I buy wow. one, I'm like, well, this ought, this ought to do it. This should be the last one left. Uh, corner of the silver well, market. I always want to buy them in security. I got I go back to the 1980s. I still remember, and I finally sold the rest of what I had probably six, seven years ago at a national. I would get somehow 10-card strips of 1964 football, and yes. there were, used to be a local local dealer in Connecticut, and he had them, and, 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 I, and I, I bought, traded, whatever from him. And I had probably about 30 or 40 at one time, and over the years I sold them, sold them off piece by piece. And I always wondered... I, I will always assume that was printer scrap and was able to make it out. And it was the same story I heard on the 61 Fleer sheets because I remember he had one or two of those also, but I, I didn't buy him for whatever reason. I bought the strips. I liked the strips because they, they displayed very easily, you know what I mean, on the table, so on and yeah. so forth. But I, I am, I'm so shocked at the amount of 61 Fleer sheets out, out there. It, it's amazing to me, to say the yep. least. So, yep. But, uh, and, uh, yeah, I see. There's a there's a strip cut '61 Fleer sheet on eBay right now. Uh, you know, right, you know, right. you know twelve rows of eleven. Yeah, I've always wondered who cut that up because '60 Fleer yeah. is pretty rare. I, I only have two sheets of that, so it's pretty rare. Yeah, but I've uh, I I've, I've, I saw those '60 Fleers over the years, and it's it's amazing, amazing to see them and uh, to have have. Uh, um, but I was never into uncut sheets, and uh, you're the expert on it. And to me, you do have the probably one of the largest collections of them in the country, uh, <laughs> if not the largest collection. Of, well, seriously, because of what, what you have, wonder, yeah. it's just uh, incredible, incredible finds of, of seeing uh, rare sheets, 50 plus years old, still in excellent condition. Yeah. Uh, it amazes me to say the least. Amazes me. Yeah. But uh, again, my but I'm my, glad my you big gridiron uh, greats ask if anyone knows or has an angle on a 1935 Chickle uncut sheet. Uh, you know, please, please send send me a message. <laughs> We're looking for Joe's elusive 35 National Chickle. <laughs> we'll find one day. All right, our guest is here, and introduce him to our audience tonight. He was born in 1946, and our guest went to his first Los Angeles Rams football game in 1956 when he was with his Cub Scout pack. He didn't know much about pro football, but the Rams uniform with the Rams horns got him hooked. He's had over 65 articles published, publications such as Baseball Digest and Sports Collectors Digest. He wrote his current book, the Los Angeles Rams, 1949 to 1955, the team that changed the NFL forever, because he wanted fans to know 
what that team did in those yep. years, 1946 to 55. It's at this time I'd like to welcome our special guest, author Rick Van Blair, to our show this evening. Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. It's good to. Thanks for calling me. I, I appreciate that. Rick, it's our pleasure to have you on the show tonight. And I'd like to hand off and and lead with this question. How would you become a fan of the Los Angeles Rams? Well, I'll never forget it. That was that was that 1956 game. Uh, mm. You know, the Cub Scouts, I was in the Cub Scouts, and we went here and we went there. And then one time they said, oh, we're going to take you kids to the Rams game, a football game. And I, 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 I didn't know much about football. My dad wasn't into sports. He didn't even he didn't watch it on TV. He didn't talk to me. So anyway, we went to the game, and of course, Southern California it was raining, and um, so I had a raincoat on, but but no coat underneath it. So I was cold during the whole game, and I and I really all I knew was one team tried to get the ball over the goal line, and the other team was trying to stop them. And years later, I told my best my best friend, I said, my gosh, you know what? I had no idea who was down on that field. I had no idea the Crazy Legs Hirsch and Norm Van Brocklin and Johnny Unitas of the Colts, uh, Gino Marchetti, uh, Raymond Berry. I had no idea those guys. Lenny Moore. I remember Lenny Moore, though, because there was one player that had white shoes. He He taped. He taped his football cleats all the way up over the hmm, lace, yeah. and I and I thought that's that's strange, you know. But uh, it would at, and and I bought my first pennant, my first Rams pennant, and I still have that today for seventy five cents. But um, when the game ended, you know, I I thought, oh good, we're gonna go home so I could get warm. And one of the parents that was with us says, um, oh, he bought us each game program he says um boys we're going down to the locker room now to get autographs i did not know what an autograph was i thought maybe it was something to eat you know like a popsicle or something <laughs> i didn't know i was at, i was 10 years old so we went down there and we went in down the tunnel and then inside to this long hallway on the right side was the showers and then at the end of the hallway was the locker room and, the, you know, these Rams are going in there, and I don't know who's who. And uh, then they come down, and they, they, they said, hi, boys, how you doing? You know, one at a time or two at a time. Did you like the game? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then they took our programs, and they signed it. I said, oh, that's what an autograph is. So I became a football hound and an autograph hound. But the Ram uniform, okay. just knocked, it just knocked me out. It just those. Oh, those dark yellow jerseys and and the dark helmets with the huge ram horns on them. I thought that is really neat, and and I've been a Rams fan ever since. Wow, wow. unbelievable! Right, there, there there is no beating those Rams uniforms, the helmets. You know, from oh. the fifties, they're they're stunning. You know, Fred Gerke, Fred Gerke came up with that. He was an art student at Utah when he was in college, and. Um, there's different stories of how it came about, but I read one one interview with him, and he said, you know, Dan Reeves, the owner, was always telling us, you know, if you ever have an idea, boys, to how to make the Rams uniform better, just let me know. 
And so he got thinking, well, you know, they call us the Rams. Why not, you know, so he drew out a, he drew out a, you know, on a piece of paper, a helmet with horns on it. He showed it to his coach. It was Bob Snyder then. And, um, and Snyder goes, hey, I, I don't know what you're talking about. He goes, here, take this leather helmet home. And uh, this is 1947. And so he took it home, painted it blue, and then and then painted the horns, the yellow horns on it. And he took it back and showed it to Dan Reeves, the owner. And Dan Reeves just went crazy. He goes, oh, my God, this is fantastic. Here, Fred, here's 70 helmets. Take them, <laughs> take them home. Wow. Take them home and, and paint them. During the season had just ended. He goes, take him home. And he goes, oh, my God, what have I done? You know, but anyway, some of the guys on the Rams, the, his fellow players, went over and helped him. You know, they would paint him blue, and then and then Fred would do the horns. But, of course, the next year, when the first year they – oh, and, oh, when they came out in 1948 for that first preseason game against the Redskins, the fans went crazy. They just went crazy. They They didn't know this was coming, you know. And and they gave they cheered for like five minutes and and what I think what it said to the fans in the stands was, hey, this isn't the Cleveland Rams that moved a couple years ago. These are our Los Angeles Rams, and that was that was that was neat. That was great. You know but, that's a, that's an excellent point. That's an excellent point, Dick. Because when you say they're they're now the L.A. Rams, they're not the Cleveland Rams anymore. They're the first team that ever actually had a visual helmet other than, you know, that actually had team colors or a logo on it, so on and so forth. I mean, it was just yeah. incredible to see, to actually see that. That's amazing, to, to say yeah. the least. So um, I, I, I yeah. fully get that as far as being an amazing, amazing part of Rams history, to say the least, you know. And, you know, a lot of people thought that, uh, the next two teams that put a logo on their helmet were the Colts and um, oh God, what was that other team? Um, well, anyway, the Colts the the Colts put a they put the horseshoes on the back of their helmet. Right. They had blue helmets right. for a couple of years there in the fifties, yeah. and uh, and then of course they went for the white helmets with it on the side. But oh, and then the Eagles. That's right, the Eagles put the wings. Eagles. But it, you Eagles. know it. Yeah. It didn't happen overnight. Uh, it took about, I think, uh, five or six years before they finally did that in in the mid fifties. So, uh, but now they all they all have it except the Cleveland Browns, which is fine. How do you one one player on the Browns in the fifties says if they put that little brownie on our helmet, I'm quitting. I'm quitting the team. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to play with with a helmet on with that little stupid brownie on 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 it. But of course, they 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 never did. I've always wondered that. Yeah. Uh, kind of a kind of a side question, Rick, if you don't mind. This is Joe. Um, Hi, Joe. I, I, hearing you say you know moved from you know Cleveland to L.A. I mean, the Rams, other than the Raiders, are one of those teams that have bounced around quite a bit. I mean, mm-hmm. you you said '56 was that first game you went to. You became a fan. How how was it? You know, when they moved out of you know L.A. Uh, you know, and moved to St. Louis and now back and stuff. Do you, do you are they your team forever, no matter what city, or are they are, are they your city's your favorite team because they're in the city? Yes, they they were still my team, but it was hard. It was hard to get over. I mean, I sit didn't sit down and cry, of course, but uh, 
Uh, I think it's Dick okay. Horner. You're among, you're among friends. If you did, Dick, yeah, Dick Horner. Dick Horner. <laughs> I interviewed him about that time for Sports Collector's Digest, and he was not happy. He said a lot of words that uh, I couldn't. Uh, when I wrote up, you know, the art, the interview uh, for Sports Collector's Digest, I, I couldn't use some of the words that that, that he used uh, when I was interviewing <laughs> him about uh, what's her name. You know that. Uh, Oh, geez, it was like, you know, even Paul Horning came out and said, you know what, she murdered Carol Rosenblum. He came right out and said that. He goes, Carol yep, Rosenblum yep. hated the swim. He had, a, he had a tremendous fear of water. Why would he be going out in the evening out in the surf? Doesn't, I think, I think he, uh, she, had him, she had him knocked off. I'm going, whoa. Wow. But, uh, yeah, Paul Horning said that. Of course, you can't get Paul wow. now. He's passed away. But um, um, yeah, it, it, it sort of, my spirit sort of diminished the, the 20 years they were away. But I was glad to see him come back. I, I, I really was. Um, I think they should be in Los Angeles. And they got a great, uh, a great stadium now. So uh, things are looking you, good. You, but, you know, another, I'm old. I'm, old question, I, I, I'm, I'm 75 going on 12. So... Uh, I I don't get upset too much if they lose. I don't like yeah. it, but you know I I you know I just go well that that that's football. It's the way it goes. That's sports. So another odd question, but you know that you know that you know two thousand two thousand you know that uh, you know the greatest show on on turf you know that Super Bowl win with Kurt Warner you know in the St Louis Rams. Do you yeah. consider that a Rams Super Bowl or do you consider that well, well that was that. Of course, they were they were still the Rams. I mean, you okay. know, they they could have moved to Egypt and, and played there, and they would still be the Rams. Of course, that's pretty far away, isn't it? But that, I, that's a little humor on my part. Um, my wife still doesn't understand my humor. Oh, I tell you. But anyway, uh, yeah, it was still the Rams. Yeah, but it would have been nicer if it would have been Los Angeles. You know, they were still drawing fans in Anaheim like crazy. They were, everything was fine. Yeah. But she was from St. Louis, and she saw a lot of money, I think, if she moved back there. And, you know, they refused her a couple times. The NFL said no. And then when the Raiders, right. Right. I think then uh, Davis said he was going to move, or the Raiders has already moved yeah. to Los Angeles. Yeah. So they thought, oh, well, yeah. Los Angeles has the Raiders. Okay, go ahead, leave town. And then the Raiders left town, and whoa, I'm telling you. But, um, you know, yeah, we're still the Rams, yeah, yeah. The thing, you know, the thing that bugs me is uh, the younger generation only talk a Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. Like, the world didn't begin until the first Super Bowl when the Packers right, and, I right. think, the, the Chiefs played. And I'm going, what, what about the champ? Oh, those don't count. I said, what do you mean they don't count? That was the National Football League championship game. Are you kidding me? You know, and, but, uh, well, you know. You, you, uh, you, you, don't find, you don't find that attitude on this show, Rick. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, think, I think Bob and I have spent more time talking about the 1958 championship, you know, the greatest game ever played versus Super Bowls, so – you know, I miss I miss that game. I, my parents went to the mountains. There was a family across the street, uh, the Mahoney's. They they moved from Green Bay, Wisconsin, and they used to take. Of course, Ooh. every 
the Packers always came to, uh, you know, they played the Rams twice. And when they came to L.A., they always drive down. And that's before all the freeways. We had a few freeways, but not that many. And we go down and watch the Packers. And I used to feel sorry for them because, um, gee, they were so bad then. But um, now I don't know what the heck I was going to say, what point I was trying to make. But, uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Well, (laughs) writing a book is not easy. And it's always fascinated me just the process that some people go through, how they write a book. I mean, and, you Me know, too. where you start, I mean, formulating the chapters, topics, et cetera. Tell us how you did it. I mean, because your, your book, the team, the team that changed, you know, the NFL, I mean, really cool subject, and obviously they lived through it. But, you know, how do you start yeah. putting that together? What's your process? The reason, you got to have a reason for writing a book, number one. And the reason I wanted it is because, all these years, I've been hearing about the great teams in the NFL, and and what mm-hmm. a great history! What a great history! I, I I wish more young 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 people would would read about the history of the National Football League. It's really fascinating. The players, the coaches, the owners, everything. Um, but uh, I I just keep hearing about the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Miami Dolphins and the Forty ers and then the Browns the dreaded Browns in the 1950s. God, they were tough. And, and, I, and I thought, you know, and I never, uh, very few books on the Rams. Every, no one talks about the Rams. And, of course, I know why. I'm not an idiot. They got to the championship game in 1949, 1950, 1951, just missed it in 52, and then finally came back in 55. And the sad part of it is for Ram fans anyway, they only won one in 1951. And you know they lost the Eagles, and then they lost a heartbreaker to the Browns, and so that's why they're not. I just wanted people to know about this team. So what I did, I started reading everything I could get a hold of, and and uh, that, that the what books were written about them, and, and NFL books, of course. You just get an NFL history book, and you're you're going to get some stuff. But what I didn't know was the contribution that Dan Reeves. The guy was unbelievable. He was just, I, we, you know, we as a kid, I, I didn't know he was doing all these things. I didn't know that. Um, I knew he moved him from Cleveland, and and uh, but I, I didn't know he had he had set up the first. I mean, he was a, he, he, the first uh, a scouting system year round. He set up for the Rams. No other team had that. Mm-hmm. It, it it's unbelievable, but. They used to go to the draft, other teams, with, um, oh, maybe somebody would call in and say, you know, you ought to check this guy out that's playing so-and-so. He's pretty good. Maybe you want to draft him. Or, and, and, and it was no, no, no real scouting system. They'd, they'd take a copy of uh, uh, Street and Smith's uh, football uh, magazine every year and look through <laughs> it. Really? I mean, yep. even the, the, uh, one guy with the Chicago Cardinals phone office said, yeah, we saw this picture of this guy jumping up in the air, the usual photograph, you know, and he looked so good. We thought, okay, we'll draft him. Of course, he was a flop, but uh, it, it's it's incredible. He he got Eddie Cotto, who used to play football for the Packers in the 20s. He was his full-time scout, and half of the year was spent on the road. And he went to big colleges but small schools also, also one, all black schools. 
No other NFL team wanted really anything to do with black players. They really didn't want them on their team. Uh, but not Dan Reeves. They, I mean, they got Tank Younger from Grambling. Tank Younger, he finished one game in his junior year, and uh, this guy comes up to him. And Tank's tired, you know. He was out there rushing all over the place. He's tired. He wants to take a shower. And uh, he says, uh, hey, uh, Paul, there, there's somebody at the at the door who wants to talk to you. And he goes, well, well, tell him I'll talk to him after I get my shower. And he goes, no, this guy's a white man. And he goes, what? What, what is a white man doing in, in Grambling anyway? So Tank went out and opened the door, and he goes, Hi, I'm Eddie Cole of Los Angeles Rams. You know, I, I just want you to know we're keeping an eye on you. You're a great player, and would you be, would you consider, uh, you know, playing for the Rams? And of course, Younger's going, well, yes, of course I would. Okay, okay, we'll keep an eye on you. We'll be in touch. Shook his hand and left. But he did. He, he went. To, it was just on. It was just unreal. I, I just. I just couldn't get over everything Dan Reeves did. I mean, the first full scouting, and, and you know the other, and one one guy, one person asked Dan Reeves one time. He says, "What's what's the key to the success of the Rams?" And he said, "You you you draft the best players, and then get good coaches to bring the best out of them, and that's what they did. That's what they did. It was unbelievable. But he was just unreal." Wow. I, I just wanted people to know about the free he did. Well, you know, when he brought the Rams out, that made the, the National Football League coast to coast, a real National Football League. And they voted them down at first. Uh, they said, that's too far to go. That was like going to Siberia, Russia. You're going to move the team where? Los Angeles, California. Chicago was, was, was the part of this West that, that the NFL went in. And of course, you know they didn't fly. Then they said we 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 it would cost us too much, so they voted them down. And Dan got really mad and said, "And you call this a National Football League?" He says, "I'll tell you what, I'm not going to sell the team. I'm going to disband it." Well, Burt Bell did not want that. They already lost the Brooklyn Football Dodgers to the All America Football Conference, so they couldn't lose another team. And so they talked for about an hour couple hours and then they called Dan back in and they said you know when a visiting team goes to another they 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 pay him ten thousand dollars they said would you pay us fifteen thousand if we came out west when we come out west to play the Rams and Dan said yes and uh so that was that the move was on then they had to get into the Coliseum if they didn't get into the Coliseum they were dead in the water and so um Dan Reeves, being the very intelligent man he was, talked to the owner of the Washington Redskins and said, uh, would you come out to the West Coast every year for the first preseason game, the Redskins, and play the Rams? And all the, ch- all the money will go to children's charities, uh, hospital. And he said, yeah. And so when the Coliseum, Coliseum Commission didn't want a professional team in Los Angeles, in, in the Coliseum, they had USC and UCLA. And yeah. uh, but when 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 they came when uh, it was Walsh who was the general manager then, and he said, "Well, we're," are, they said, "Are you gonna are you, are you gonna draft black black sign black players?" And he said, "Yes, we are. We're gonna sign Kenny Washington, and we're gonna sign some other black players." Yeah. And 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 and.
did that children's charity thing, that that just that just shocked the the uh, Coliseum Commission because if they had said no, they know the next day the headlines would see would say Coliseum Commission says no to to sick and needy children, and of course yeah. they didn't want they didn't want that, so they okayed the deal, no. and then they no. also okayed the All, All America Football Conference Los Angeles Dons to play in the Coliseum also, but uh, Dan Reeves did so much. I mean. He, 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 he was the first assigned black player since 1933, uh, which made other teams sign black players. He was the first to hold any charity game. He was the first one to televise home games. And that was, I believe that was in 1950. And even the people who worked for Dan in the front office said, are you nuts? You're going to lose. You're going to lose all kinds of We can't do that. We're going to lose. We're, we're already losing money. But see, he had made a deal with Admiral Television saying, if there isn't at least 40,000 people in the stands, you're going to pay us for every empty seat. And they said, okay. So at the end of the year, they paid Dan Reeves over $100,000. Attendance was down. It went down to 20-some-odd thousand for each game. But they got, they got I think it was $103,000 back. And this led to other teams wanting, oh, the next year, no no, no home games on TV. So the fans had to come out. Wow. You know, it was, it was a yeah. typical bait, bait, and, you know, here you go. Here's what we got to sell you. And, but, oh, now it's gone. You're going to have to come to the games and buy tickets. And, you know, in those days, tickets were, were it. And um, yeah. it, 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 was just, it was just unreal what, what he did. He did so many things. Free football for kids got me in there, and us and other kids. Um, he, he he was just Steph, he was just he was just so far Steph, ahead of everybody your, else. Steph, who was your favorite uh, Rams player growing up? Oh, if you had one, Crazy Legs, Crazy Legs Hirsch. He was he was just. I I used to think when I was a, a ten or eleven years old, I, I thought I was the only crazy I. I was the only Crazy Legs Hurst fan, and there was thousands. <laughs> there was thousands of them. But um, you know, I thought about that. I, he was just—he looked so wonderful in that Ram uniform, yeah. running down the field, yeah. catching a ball over his head, which which very few players could do. Um, yeah. And and he, you know, he was on he was on TV sometimes and things like. And um, I, 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 he just he. And, you know, my dad did something for me. Maybe he felt guilty uh, for giving me too many spankings when I was little and also for not taking me to a lot of games. Uh, Elroy Hirsch had a restaurant in, uh, on Ventura Boulevard in the San Fernando Valley. And um, he said, uh, uh, would you like to go to Crazy Legs Restaurant and, and meet him there and have dinner? I, and I, 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 I thought he was kidding. I was 11 years old. I said, who, who, well, who asked you that? Your dad? My dad, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I said, uh, is, are, is, for real? And he goes, yeah. And I said, yeah. So I waited a whole week. It was better than waiting for Christmas. Christmas, Christmases <laughs> had nothing, nothing on Crazy Legs Hirsch. And finally, my mom and dad and my sister and I, we went to Crazy Legs Restaurant, and he came out in a nice, nice suit, good-looking man. And was so nice. Came over and talked to my parents, talked to me, 
He said, uh, do you play any football, Ricky? And I said, well, just in the front yard, you know, with the other kids. But And he goes, well, well, good, good. And and, and then he said, would you like a, a autographed picture of me? And I and I go, uh, 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 yeah, I sure would. <laughs> so he signed he signed a picture I'm looking at right now. It's it's in my uh, football baseball room. Wow. He's flying through the air. Wow. It says, to Ricky, best wishes, crazy legs first. And then um, always play fair. You know, he wrote that at the bottom. Then we're eating dinner, and he comes over while we're eating dinner. Signs our programs for us. It says, uh, is the food good? Is everything okay? Uh-huh. And then when we're getting ready to leave, he comes up to me again, and he says, Ricky, is there anything else I can do for you? And I said, well, I noticed some pictures in, in – there was a cocktail lounge on the other side of the restaurant where you eat from. And there was these pictures, these life-size color pictures of rams on plastic against the wall, and there were lights behind them. And I had never seen anything like that in my life. And I don't think I've seen too much of that ever again. And I said, well, I'd sure love to go in and look at those. And he said, well, you know, you're supposed to be 21 to go in there. But I think if I go in with you, it'll be okay. So he took me in there and, 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 and explained explained all the all – the, who was – of course, I knew most of the Rams who were in the photos. There was like, oh, I don't know, eight or nine or ten on the wall. And then he then he let me and then he took a then he told the bartender he says uh, show Ricky that ball, and he showed me the first time I've ever held a real a National Football League ball in my hands and it was signed by all the Rams, but you could barely see their signatures because it was in ballpoint pen. But uh, and I thought, gosh, if I run out of the restaurant right now with this ball, they're going to catch me and put me in jail. So I gave it back to the bartender. <laughs> but I. <laughs> the, thought, the thought crossed my mind, though. No, he was just, uh, oh, and after games, he would stand there, much to the chagrin of his wife, waiting, you know, for him, to, and then they'd go out to dinner. He would sign till everybody who wanted an autograph got an autograph. He was just, even years later, I sent him stuff uh, in the mail, a couple pictures of him. You, you know, could you please sign this and put it in the self-addressed stamped envelope? No problem. That's when he was athletic director at Wisconsin. Then, oh wow! I know I I know I talk too much, but then years yeah. later, I thought, my gosh, I want to interview him. So I, I sent him a letter, and uh, I oh sure sure call me uh, any, uh, after such and such. I'm I'll be home then after work. And I called him up, and before I turned on the tape recorder, I said, you know. Uh, when I was 11, I saw you at Crazy Lake's restaurant, and I just wanted to thank you. Yeah. It, you were just fantastic, and you know. But um, um, and uh, he said, "Well, thank you so very cool. much." And then he gave me a great interview, and you know, all the baseball interviews I did, I finally got around to sending them to the to the Hall of Fame, so they could use them downstairs where writers go to, to do research mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, but I, I've still held on uh, to the crazy Lake Hirsch because I, I want to. I, it's nice to hear his voice again, but he, he was just, he was just fantastic. And you know, Van Brocklin said one time of him, he goes, "I never saw anybody who loved practice more than Crazy Lake Hirsch. He would just bounce around like it, there was rubber in his legs, and 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 and." 
and during practice, he said he and Waterfield would try to overthrow him, and they barely could do it. He Hirsch was that fast, <laughs> and you know, just wow. playing around like that. Yeah, just playing around like that. Um, he he became the greatest over the over the shoulder, yeah. over the over the straight over the head uh, pass catcher Absolutely. in history. But he said they used yeah, to practice that. To practice that, but just a just a great guy. Um, I was very sad today. He's so he's so athletic. He was so good looking. I mean, he Mm -hmm. became a movie star. You know, uh, just he's just he was. He he was in the right city. You know, L.A. Just that Hollywood thing. Yeah, Uh, yeah, crazy. It's funny. I have a coworker who looks like Elroy Hirsch, and I call him Elroy. I call him Crazy Legs. Every once in a while, showed him a picture once. He's like, Yeah, I look like Elroy. yeah, just I'm 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 curious. You you know you said you were just looking at that photo you got from from uh, you know Crazy Legs when you were alive. Uh-huh. So obviously you collect. Do you, do you collect any other memorabilia? Oh, cards, you better. Oh, you you, you, you better believe it. I started collecting after after that first Rams game at '56. I came home, and the first chance I got, I went to the library to get every book I could on football in the National Football League. And I brought it home and read and read and read. And I had that Rams pennant that I bought for 75 cents. And that started me. That, that, well, I used to collect baseball cards also. But we, we, we never thought they were worth anything except the nickel we paid per pack for them at the, at the, at the liquor store, you know, or at the drug store. Um, yeah, uh, I started collecting pennants. Matter of fact, I've got about... 65 pennants on the ceiling. Now, you might think that's strange to put pennants up on a ceiling, but they really look pretty neat. <laughs> they take up too much room on the walls. And on the walls are, are all my all my photographs of you name them. A lot of Rams, uh, a lot of players I've admired through the years, um, uh, uh Bobby Lane, Les Richter, uh, Otto Graham, um, Johnny Unitas. God, I love Johnny Unitas. I snuck down. I snuck down once in 1965 um, at the Pro Bowl game. They used to have it in Los Angeles every year, and all the players started going in. You know, after the second quarter had ended, and I said to my friend, I said, "You know what? I've got my camera with me, and." I'm I, I'm when the players come out to start the third period. I'm gonna just I'm just gonna step over this little brick wall which went up to my belt, and I'm just gonna walk behind them, and, and I did, and uh, they thought, oh my, you, you're not gonna do that, but I did it, and I walked up. I was about ten feet in front of Johnny Unitas, and he was sitting on a chair, one of those uh, metal folding chairs next to the bench, and. Uh, and I took a picture of him. I still have that picture. That picture's up on my wall too. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, I've got. Oh gosh, I, I've got. I've got helmets. I've got footballs. I've got. I've only have thirty mini helmets. Some people have a lot more. Oh, I know. I've got about seventy-five pennant football pennants now, and I, I know somebody that has five hundred. So, but you know, I don't go for for numbers. I just go because I love them. They're so fantastic, especially back in those days. My gosh. Oh, so colorful and 
oh, it's just, you know, I, if ever I get depressed, I just come back here, and it's like magic. <laughs> really. It's just like, <laughs> it's good. just like, I'll, I'll, I'll start looking at, I have a bunch of game programs I've framed. Um, uh, I've, I probably kept the frame business in business. Um Oh, I've got one frame. I've got nothing but Rams football cards from the 50s in it. Um, oh, gosh, I wish you could be here right now. Uh, Tommy McDonald. I talked I talked to Tommy McDonald after a practice one time in San Fernando in 1965 because I knew he loved Van Brocklin. And I went up to him. I don't know if kids can do this today. I went up to him after practice, and I said, Tommy, tell me about Van Brocklin. And he goes, oh, oh, without him, I'd be nothing. And we stood there for about a half an hour, and he told me, you know what? The Eagles didn't know what to do with me. They said I was too short. That He was an All-American in Oklahoma. He said I was too short to be a halfback and too short to be an offensive end. And he says they were going to mm-hmm. get ready to either cut me or trade me. And then Van Brocklin came along in 1958 on a last-place Eagles team and said, nice. this guy, McDonald, don't touch him. He's going he's gonna to be my best receiver. And he goes, he, he, he turned my career around. He goes, without Van Brocklin, I would have been nothing. Wonderful. Interesting. Wonderful. Uh-huh. Um, That's, well, That's pretty humbling. That's pretty cool. Yeah, all, the, all this stuff has – I mean, I've got – Autographed pictures of Jim Parker and Gino Marchetti and 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 and, and Leo Namalini and Chuck Bednarik and and I got to see all these guys. I'm so lucky because when we would go to a game, especially when I turned 18, I got my first car, a '51 Ford. We could drive down from the San Fernando Valley about 25, 30 miles to the Coliseum, and we'd always go back for autographs, always. And uh, that's cool. Gosh, it was so much fun. I have I have some some great memories, you know. I think, and I, go I, ahead. Gonna, I, we're we're getting we're getting close to uh, being almost out of time. I want to combine two questions for you. Uh, number okay. one, how can our readers and uh, listeners purchase your book? And I used to write for Sports Collectors Digest back in '89 to '92. When did you used to write for them? I'm curious. Um. In the, I can't remember the first Tom Mortensen. Do you remember Tom Mortensen? He was the yeah, editor. Yeah, okay, yeah, I do, Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, let's see. I wrote the book uh, "Dug Out the Foxhole," which was which was interviewed with uh, that I did for Sports Collectors Digest, and they ranged from you know like guys like Dick Bartell, Mace Brown, Harry Kraft, Harry Danning, Harry the Horse yep. Danning, what a character he was. I could talk for hours about that guy. Boo Ferris, Harry Gumbert, Ernie Coy, uh, Bob Kuzava, saved two World Series for the Yankees. Uh, Buddy Lewis, what a sweetheart of a guy. He was, at Lou, he was there on Lou Gehrig Day. He said everybody was crying when Lou gave that speech. Uh, Joe Nuxall, Johnny Pesky. What a sweetheart. But, um, oh, gosh, the book came out in 94, so I think I started doing interviews probably in 88, 89. I don't know. I've got them them all here, but I I can't. uh, They're all stacked up behind this 
rocking chair I'm sitting in. But uh, yeah, Tom Morton. <laughs> no I I went I went to a uh, the only national I've ever been to was years and years ago at Anaheim, California. Yeah, they don't okay. come out west anymore because it's too far to come, and I understand that. And I saw Tom there. They had a Sports Collectors Digest booth. And I went up to him. I said, hey, thanks for the first interview I sent him was with Warren Sandell, who never played in the major leagues, but played for the minor leagues, New York Giants. And he was the first yep. one yep. to Jackie Robinson in white organized baseball. And uh, I sent hmm. that in, and he published it. And uh, so I went up to him, and I said, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. And he goes, hey, we appreciate you. Keep those interviews coming. And uh, very nice man. And then uh, yeah. he left later on to go to another, some other publication. But, right, uh, right, right. Yeah. So about the book, how can how – can, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, buy your book. No problem. I'm sorry. Um, they can click on uh, Amazon.com, uh, either Los Angeles Rams books – or Rick Van Blair books, and uh, it should it should pop up. And um, thanks to Martin Jacobs, who I know you know, uh, he talked me in. I, I called him up one day and I says, "Gosh, your forty your Keysar Stadium book is fantastic. I love it." And I told him about my book, but uh, it was rejected by two or three publishers, and I I just got disgusted and I threw it in the corner and it sat there for for a few years. He goes, "Go." With self-publish, Rick. Go ahead and do it. And so I did it. And uh, now I'm on the with a sign saying, need money to pay for it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, Mar- Mar- Martin is... Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's on Amazon.com well, but... right now. And it's uh, priced... I had it priced at $18.98 so that most people could afford it. And it's not a gigantic book. It's not three or 400 pages, because I know a lot of people, they, and I do too, this, I pick up a book that's 400 pages, and I go, oh, God, it's going to take me forever to get through this thing. No, it's uh, 202 wow. pages. got photos in it. I you read see, it. And, oh, the, the cover's fantastic. Um, I read it. Mark, I read the book in what? I read your book in one night. I loved it. I'm going yeah. to review it in the fall issue of uh, Gridiron Greeks magazine, and I do highly recommend it in uh we're going to have an ad for you for the for the next issue too for that, but uh, it is a great book. I enjoyed it and uh, I, I learned a Thank lot you. from it. Unfortunately, we're, we're literally almost out of time, Dick. Uh, any final thoughts in thirty seconds or less? <laughs> oh, where would we, where would we be? Where would the human race be without sports? Really. I mean, it's, it's so much fun when we were kids to play them and look up and have heroes. Um, it It's so much fun collecting this stuff. I never collected a whole lot of baseball cards. I didn't think they'd be worth anything. Matter of fact, I had eight or nine Willie Mays. He was one of my favorite players as a kid. I glued I had a scrapbook I made of Willie, and I glued him into, into the scrapbook. What an idiot I was as a kid, because now they're basically <laughs> worthless. But um, uh, I, I would tell kids, don't don't collect because you think it might get you a lot of money maybe 10 years from now. Collect what you love. Collect what you like. That's the fun of it. It really is. Yep. That's the fun of it. 
I look at these pictures Very now, true. and they they bring back so many memories. It's just it's it's just wonderful, really. Collecting well, is tech. Tech, we're, we're literally out of time. I want to thank you for being on. And thank uh, you. I'm sure you're going to get some sales from the, our podcast and the magazine. Joe, Gridiron we'll be back very soon with another well, show. And we are definitely out of time. Thanks for listening. Anytime. Rick, we, thank, thank you so much. We, we've never had a guest run us out of time. You're the first. Thank you. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.